Hi everyone, welcome to the third episode of the Rich Reflex Podcast and Show. I'm so excited to be back with part two of my conversation with Dr. Nicole LaPera, also known to most of us as the Holistic Psychologist. I also wanted to take some time to thank those of you who wrote in to me and shared with me on what you've learned from the first part. And I can't wait for you to listen to the second part because it's also packed with so much insights, wisdom, and tools from Dr. Nicole. And we're going to talk about different other topics here. In part two of my conversation with Dr. Nicole, we are going to deep dive into the impact that our upbringing and early conditioning by caregivers and society have on the way that we see ourselves treat ourselves and others now as adults and some of us parents? Are we repeating and recycling the same old unexamined stories and habits that aren't serving us? In what ways are our unhealed inner child wounds keeping us from showing up intentionally, from making new and better choices for ourselves every day in order to become the person we wish to be? I also got to ask Dr. Nicole, why is it that so many of us feel so unworthy? We talked about how our outdated beliefs affect our sense of self-worth and relationships. We are conditioned until we awaken, says Dr. Nicole. So without further ado, let's get right into the conversation and find out together how we can take the first step towards becoming more aware and begin to reparent our inner child to heal and create a new reality for ourselves. I know, I love that because then it brings me to my next point on conditioning, which happens at the subconscious level from when we were born, right? How does conditioning affect our lives and the way we are today? Most I'm smiling really big, Rachel, because conditioning is our life for so many of us mm -hmm. until we become present. Because what conditioning really is, if I want to simplify that word, it's our habits, right? Everything from, and, and the new workbook that I have how, out, How to Meet Yourself, takes us through the, the first concept is really teaching us about what I'm calling a habit self. All of these habits that color our day. I'm sure some listeners might've heard of the stat. I think it's somewhere of like 99, 95% of our day we spend driven by that autopilot or that subconscious part of our mind. Simply meaning we're not showing up intentionally every moment and making a choice for ourselves. It's that, you know, example of driving home on a route and, you know, you're rehashing the argument at work and suddenly you're alive home safe. You mm. made a lot of decisions to drive a motor vehicle home, you know, with a lot of other drivers on the road, yet you didn't really have to be paying much attention to it at all. Mm. Um, our brain, our body prefers that subconscious state of autopilot, because like I said earlier, our brain already needs the most of our calories. So if it can coast on things that it already knows to do and can anticipate doing, it not only frees up a bit of our caloric resources, it frees up a bit of our attention, right? To deal with the increasing stimulation that we have to deal with living these much more complex human lives. So our autopilot and our conditioning is what we mean when we say the habits that color our day. So really becoming consciously present and aware of what are those like typical ways that you just go about maybe just starting with our body, like mm. the workbook does the whole first sec section. Once we learn how to become conscious is let's begin to pay attention to how we're caring for our body, right? What do meal times look like? How much rest? Just even focusing on those nervous system based areas. How right. much rest? How much movement are typically present in any given day? What are my body habits? And then similarly, we can peel back the next layer of the onion. Our mind is just as conditioned as our body. 
right? Mm -hmm. So our body will go about caring for our body, typically in the same ways that our body was cared for. We learned mm -hmm. to care for our body in childhood, right? So same with our mind. I use the example of ego. It's a perfect example. The stories, the meanings that we've come to repeat over time become the same stories and meanings that we're repeating in our adult life. Wow. That's an example of how our mind now has become conditioned. It's not coming up with a new scenario for a happening. It's revisiting those old pathways. So wow. I smiled when you asked about conditioning, because I mean, conditioning until we awaken simply mm -hmm. means becoming conscious. What is this old autopilot that's been driving my choices and my reactivity and how I tend to my emotions? What's going on there? Because you'll always hear me break down any process of change into two really simple steps becoming aware. What are the habits? What's the conditioning that's creating my current circumstances? Awareness, mm. consciousness, first step. Once I see what's creating the life or the results in my life, now I can take that second step, which is choice. I want to stop relying on those old habits, that old conditioning. And I want to start to make new choices because that's how we create new habits. And that's how we actually transform. Wow. And I also love that, you know, a lot of your work talks a lot about the impact of our upbringing. I think by and large, we are who we are today because of the way we were brought up until we decide, you know, to be conscious and to do the inner work. You also speak a lot about, you know, our inner child and the need to reparent our inner child. Could you share with us a little bit more about that? I uh, love this question. I also, you know, want to acknowledge that, especially, you know, for me, when I first met this concept of inner child, I did like maybe some listeners are doing right now, like kind of like roll my eyes. You know, I think as, as we age, as we, you know, get into adult years for a lot of us, and especially for maybe some of us who don't want to think back or remember early childhood, difficult, painful experiences, right? We want to wash our hands of, of that mm. place. We don't want to even think about referring to ourselves as an adult as having this part of our mind that is the inner child. And I felt very similarly. I kind of shamed myself out of even looking or applying this concept in my own healing for a very long time. So I just wanted to lead in with that in case anyone listening is having, you know, that kind of reaction. I'm like, why are we talking about childhood or inner child? I'm an adult now. You know what I mean? Though the reality of it is we all carry, again, in that same subconscious part of our mind, all of the happenings of quite literally, as mind-blowing as is, our entire life. Mm -hmm. And because of the state of our developing brain in our early childhood years, and we're literally primed to be in a learning mode, to be taking in and learning about, you know, how to be human, how to mm -hmm. express yourself, how to connect with another person. And so the habits and the early experiences that are, that we've actually lived in childhood become imprinted in that subconscious part of our mind. And even though we do age, you know, in years, even though many of us do leave geographically that childhood home, maybe some of us aren't even in connection mm. with those early caregivers or those, those early relationships that colored those early experiences, they still live in our mind. And so what reparenting is, is showing up. And again, this is also acknowledging the reality for the large majority of us that no matter how well-intentioned many of our parents were, our caregivers, mm -hmm. no matter how much so many of them knew or experienced pain in their own childhoods and sought so desperately to do different and to give us a different experience as their children, they, so many of them, are limited by their own learning, by their own conditioning, by the tools and information that have been or are still accessible to them. So despite well-intentions, and again, the old 
saying here at least is do as I say, not as I do. Mm. The reality of it is in that early learning stage of childhood, children are far greater impact is around what they're seeing modeled. So saying all that to say that so many of us are carrying wounding from this early time when yeah. our needs weren't consistently met, our physical needs, our emotional needs, where we didn't have, again, that safe, supportive environment to, of another human who is even curious mm. in us being separate than them and exploring who we are, what we think, what we feel, what we want, right? It's a big task to be a parent. So the large majority of us are carrying habits that were born as adaptations in that early environment where we didn't have either someone consistently physically present to yeah. tend to our body's needs or emotionally present to create that safety and that curiosity where we learned how to literally express ourselves, express our feelings and relate to other people. So simply what reparenting is, is similarly, I'll break it down on the same two lines, becoming aware of those habits that aren't serving us, that aren't allowing us in adulthood to meet our physical needs, to meet our emotional needs, to express ourselves in our relationship. And then reparenting is the making of those new choices to show up more in service of what we need, what we want and what we wish to be. Wow. And, you know, for me as a parent myself, it's very scary, you know, the impact that we have on our kids. So uh, what would you say to parents today? You know, what are some things that you think we as parents need to be absolutely aware of? I think it, it's incredibly scary. I can understand that feeling. And like I said, I think it's one of the the biggest, if not, you know, the biggest job, right? A yeah. lot of us, we, we, even when we're parents, you know, I think a lot of us even shame ourselves as like not doing more, wanting to have a job on top of parenting. I mean, parenting in and of itself, showing up in service of shaping another human's life. I mean, I don't, I don't know anything or I haven't met a profession that is as big as that. So I want to share compassion uh, as being my, my major message to parents, um, especially as I'm imagining you hear me talk and you, mm. you know, want to do better for your kids. And you might have all this to-do list on, you know, what you're going to do or say to them. And my answer is always going to be some version of the same for any parent out there, which is making sure you're a priority as well, making mm. sure. And again, this is the for those of us who have been on an airplane, right? And we're taught to put the, our oxygen mask on before, you know, we tend to even our child's. Yeah. I mean, I, I really sat and thought about, well, what is the reason for that? And the reason for that is if my oxygen mask isn't on, I mean, this might seem extreme. I might not be alive mm -hmm. to even put the oxygen mask on my child next to me. And while that sounds extreme, it's the same principle. If I'm not caring for myself, if I'm not meeting my body's needs, if I'm not tending to my emotions, then I could read all the best parenting books. I can listen to a beautiful talk like this. And chances are, I'm going to show up just as dysregulated and probably yeah. even more shameful because now I have all of this new awareness of what I should or could be doing. Mm -hmm. And my body is completely overriding that because it's depleted, because I'm not sleeping well, because I'm not eating well, because I'm not taking any moments in my day for me to be a person and to tend to what I need before I show up in service of someone else. So it's putting supports in place, taking those small moments. And of course, I understand with children, right? Always present, always in need, especially if there's single parents out there listening where yeah. there actually isn't the you know physical objective support. It's finding small moments in the mm -hmm. day. It's maybe recruiting and finding the support. I actually just saw one, um, a parent posted on, I think it was Instagram. And I love this post because they were sharing that they found um, at their local Y. So the Y is a like um, kind of a community center mm -hmm. that usually has a gym here in the States. 
it's called the YMCA or the YWCA. And Mm -hmm. it offers oftentimes affordable, if not, you know, super low cost um, memberships. And this particular Y community center um, offers childcare at a particular hour. So this person posting, and I just wanted to share that. I think that was a really creative way, right? Made that their gym time because I think they give the children there like an hour and a half of daycare while the parent is working out. So that parent was able to get that hour and a half, even if they just hid in the steam room, you know, or in the thing and didn't, yeah. anything, but really was able to utilize um, that childcare service. So I just wanted to bring it up as a creative way that I yeah. was struck by, because I know, again, sometimes resources are limited. Sometimes time is limited though. Again, we're, what our children are going to feel is our level of connectedness, our level mm-hmm. of groundedness. They're mm-hmm. going to be much less impacted by us saying the right things. And this, doesn't matter when this journey of awakening happens, because I often then get asked, is there a point of no return? My child is an adolescent. Oh, my child's an adult already. Yeah. Change can happen anytime and can be so greatly impactful at any time. A child experiencing their parent in a new way, shifting the dynamic of their relationship at any yeah. age will be so much more impactful than just determining that it's too late for you and that change isn't needed. Yeah. Thank you so much, for Dr. Nicole, for that beautiful reminder. I also want to talk to you about good girl conditioning. And I personally relate to that a lot, especially in the way that I was brought up. That has resulted in me becoming a people pleaser through especially my adult life until I started to become aware of it and then consciously work through it and I'm still recovering from it. So for those of us who might not be as familiar, could you share with us a little bit about it? And I also wanted to ask, is it the same as the nice guy syndrome that you talked about? Because there were so many of my guy friends who sent me that post who also related so much to it. And these, Dr. Nicole, are successful people in their own right, at work, in careers, at home. And that is something that you relate to so much. And I think we feel it so much, especially in our Asian culture. Yeah. So we can even, you know, expand the the concept itself to good person. So you can really, you know, whatever gender you identify with, you know, anyone and and a lot of us do myself included, Mm -hmm. um, come from a a very, you know, kind of conditioned background to be this good person, to be this people pleaser is another way that that looks. And, you know, you'll know you are, you know, struggling with people pleasing or being a good person, right? If you're kind of struggle to say no, struggle to acknowledge what you want or what you need, struggle to disappoint other people, struggle to share your opinions or your beliefs or your emotions or your needs if they are in opposition, or if you would even imagine they might be in opposition to someone else. And Mm -hmm. again, all of this just tying all the connections of our conversation begins in childhood where there was a very real reason why that was a safe bet for you, why you needed even in some of our circumstances to do that, right? Because sometimes for some of us, we were able to, if we were always, you know, presenting good or, or tending to pleasing, you know, the parent who maybe is explosive. Yeah. If we could never bring, you know, what would activate that explosion to the table, then we actually physically keep ourselves safer. Of course, for others, it's not necessarily a physical threat. It's an emotional threat. It's being mm-hmm. like me, you know, rewarded for being stress-free after mm-hmm. having a sister who struggled with chronic health issues and a brother who struggled with chronic behavioral issues, right? Mm-hmm. I saw how stressed the family was. So if I didn't bring any problems or opinions or thoughts that differed, right, that could cause any stress to the table, I, I was able to somewhat I remain- so much, yeah. 
remain connected. Similarly, if I performed for me, I, I saw very early on, I was good at school. I was good at sports, softball in particular, right? If I was good in that way, I was able to maintain or, or get some semblance of my mom's attention mm -hmm. that translated then to me in relationships, being unable to even know what I thought or what I wanted. And if I had some idea of what I maybe thought or wanted to do or what I felt, and I had any idea that me sharing my want or my need might disappoint someone else, I would avoid, I would squash it, suppress it right down and just do whatever it is right? That I needed to keep the peace. So mm. sometimes we're avoiding a physical blow up. Sometimes we're avoiding an emotional disconnection. Sometimes mm. we're avoiding doing something that we were taught is unsavory, yeah. right? And we're trying to present ourselves in a certain way to sustain that image, those bonds to those people who are holding that image. And that can follow us. I mean, I had a really pivotal moment when I was asked just that, um, what I wanted you know, and it was in, in, in the context of something so simple and easy as like plans. I was feeling pulled in a couple different directions about how to spend a, an upcoming holiday or a weekend. I forget exactly what it was. And yeah. I had a very well-meaning friend just look at me very calmly because this is what decades of people pleasing could look like. I would have never said I was a people pleaser by that point in my life yeah. or at that point in my life. And my friend very calmly was like, well, what do you want to do, you know, with your Saturday, for instance, like such a simple question, Rachel. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I couldn't even answer mm. because I was so used to filtering what I wanted through the impact it would have on others, always seeking to avoid disappointing them to be good, yeah. right? To be the stress-free person, the go with the flow or whatever it was. I thought you needed to be that person. So similarly, back to those two steps, um, I want to celebrate you, anyone listening who, anyone who you were kind of sharing, you know, is like shaking their head, like, yeah, I have that good person conditioning, mm -hmm. becoming aware of it. It won't shift overnight. I didn't mm -hmm. immediately discover what I wanted. What I had to first do is catch myself every time I want to say yes to something that I meant no, catch myself anytime wow. I want to censor my true thoughts or my true opinion. For a long time, I would never even say, I think. Um, I had such a difficulty owning what my thoughts yeah. were in concern of how will you receive what my thoughts are. And if you yeah. might not like me, you know, mm -hmm. if I might disappoint you and what my belief is, I just wouldn't participate in the conversation. So as all things, it's a process of the more attentional or the more awareness we have of those moments when we're shifting back into being the good person, whatever that looks like for each of you uniquely, that's the moment where we give ourselves that opportunity to make that new choice. Not that it will be easy, mm. right? Because the second we show up now doing something unfamiliar, not only will our, will our subconscious be challenged because it doesn't know what comes next. Some of us might be met with exactly what we feared would come next. We might be told we're selfish. How dare you? You can't do this. I need this. Oh, you're changing, not in a positive way, right? We might hear then feedback yeah. that confirms the fear that prevented us from doing that thing in the first place. So it really is a process of becoming aware of all of those moments. You're suppressing what it is because that's what you know, good person conditioning usually results in yeah. um, suppressing my real thought, my real feeling, my real need, my real want in this moment so that then I could practice making that choice that's more yeah. authentically um, me. And why do you think, Dr. Nicole, so many of us feel so unworthy? I think this question, I muse this because I couldn't agree more. And I've sat, um, I've had the opportunity to, you know, have podcasts um, with 
people, you know, that I have always, you know, like, oh, you know, mm -hmm. they, they must feel worthy. I mean, yeah. look at their lives, look at what they've created. And, all the boxes ticked. I've, and I've had conversations with them, not only, you know, through, through podcast opportunities, through developing friendships. And more often than not, I'm reminded that it doesn't matter what your life looks like, how much you give people the impression, even give yourself the impression that you've ticked boxes. I think at our core, we are all joined with that shared wound um, mm -hmm. of not feeling worthy or of not feeling good enough, because typically where that develops is like we just were talking about earlier in childhood where we didn't have the maturity to understand why whatever need that wasn't consistently met. And I'm sure there was at least one because remember we were raised, I should say, by imperfect humans, yeah. right? Who were again, impacted by the tools and resources they had. So chances are some need in childhood wasn't as consistently met as it could have been. And based on that developmental maturity or immaturity of your brain at that point, you typically landed on it with something about you that made you unworthy of having that need met. And then that becomes the core root of a wound that we then filter as a reminder of our unworthiness, seeking to always confirm that which we know to be true about ourselves, even though it's not, hmm. that exact belief gets strengthened over time. So I think what joins us is again, the reality that very few of us have had the, you know, emotionally attuned, physically present, you know, connected, safe space and a caregiver. So we were left lacking um, some of us with mm -hmm. more needs unmet than others. And then, like I said, typically the story that kind of maps onto that is it must be something about me that made me unworthy of mm. you showing up consistently for me in the way that I needed you to. Mm. And I, I'm so conscious of your time and I would like to take the, the last 10 minutes to talk about, you know, in that same vein, also relationships, because so many of us, because of that feeling of unworthiness, we might, you know, dangerously seek attention, validation, approval from the people around us, and maybe even in relationships. So in your opinion, Dr. Nicole, what do you think is the foundation of a healthy relationship? So what we will repeat in relationships, let me just start there, is what we knew of relationships in our mm. earliest years. And, you know, interestingly enough, in that state of, you know, openness of need of connection with other people, the way we learn how to, I mean, even beautifully, again, tying together these concepts, the way we learn how to tend and regulate to our own emotions, the way we even come to know ourself is actually through those early relationships with those yeah. caregivers. So we are imprinted, you know, not only to repeat the same habits in our relationship, but though we're imprinted by the beliefs that were created in those first relationships. And then we show up in alignment with those beliefs, which often are some version of how we're not worthy, right? How connection feels yeah. unsafe for us if we didn't have that consistent, you know, attuned caregiver. Yeah. Um, and we carry then those same beliefs and we enact those beliefs in our current relationships. And we seek the familiar, just like our subconscious always does, like we were talking about earlier in terms of habitual patterns, we seek the same in our relationships. And so what a healthy you know, relationship looks like is a, a consciously chosen one, right? One who is aware of everything that we're bringing, you know, as our individual human from our past, all of this wounding that is still present, that more often than not is more alive in those romantic, especially the romantic relationships, I often hear people, right, that yeah. are, you know, coming out of maybe a period of time of being single and, you know, being like, oh, I feel so good. I feel so healed. And then 
get into that next relationship and here comes all the stuff again, yeah. right? Because all that stuff was so embedded in relationship dynamics, particularly close relationships where mm. I feel physically and emotionally vulnerable, right? Just like I did in childhood. So here comes all of this stuff to the surface. So being emotionally healthy in a relationship actually doesn't mean not bringing stuff. Again, mm -hmm. we wouldn't be human. A human's going to bring the past with them. What it means is though being conscious to that, understanding all of the ways that the past is shaping who I am and how I am now and giving myself those opportunities more often than not to live in choice, to you know, address issues and conflict, mm -hmm. which are natural parts of our relationship. I know a big part of my good person conditioning was to avoid conflict at all costs. Yeah. To say or do whatever it is I think that you wanted or needed for yeah. me to say or do that, to not get into a conflict. Um, because in childhood, what conflict meant for me, for my mom in particular, was not being spoken to, was having mm. the silent treatment, was being alive in a home and almost being as if I was a ghost and didn't exist. And sometimes for a bit of time would go on several days um, at its worst when I was, when I actually came out and I was a sophomore in college, my mom didn't speak to me for around three months mm. of time. So for me, anger, conflict, someone being upset or disappointed in, in myself, my choices, you know, my emotions, my wants yeah. met disconnection from the person that was so much so integral to my survival. So mm -hmm. I then continue to avoid conflict. Um, and I know many people do think that, you know, conflict is a sign the relationship isn't good, isn't healthy. Yeah. Conflict is natural. Conflict is naturally going to happen when you have two unique, different individuals having different perspectives at once, mm -hmm. having different needs at once, having different desires at once. So being emotionally healthy, again, doesn't mean avoiding conflict or denying that it's present. Like mm -hmm. so many of us have gotten very good at or just appeasing, pleasing the other person just so you can avoid the blow up. Being emotionally healthy actually means being similarly attuned to the emotions of conflict, being able to stay grounded and responsive enough so that you don't get into a pointing finger or a blame game. Yeah. So that I did couples work for a very long time and I would always kind of paint the picture of issues are going to happen. Disagreements and conflict is going to happen within the relationship mm -hmm. and outside of the relationship. The goal in a quote unquote healthy relationship is to learn how to not sit across from each other, tossing the hot potato of who's wrong. Mm -hmm. It's to sit next to each other on that couch with the issue, the problem, the disagreement, whatever it is out in front of both of you and learning how to look at it as a team with both wow. individuals best interest in mind. So in my opinion, um, and that is a journey to get there, especially because very few of us were modeled that we didn't have yeah. that early experience. We do have conditioning that is coloring our ability to engage in this healthier version of conflict, to see problems collaboratively, to hear another's perspective. Again, interestingly enough, all of that comes down to more often than not our nervous system. Because if mm -hmm. we're in that fight or flight mode, what are we doing? I just want to just bring this back up again. Yeah, We're combating the person at hand, especially if they're the person that did something to stress me out or upset me. Yeah. They're the problem. They are now no longer my partner whom I love and care for. And this is why so many of us can act really mean to the people even closest to us, because now we're in that animalistic evolutionary brain that they've become the threat, the enemy. And you can even see that. I see that sometimes in my language, in the way I think about my partners when I'm upset mm -hmm. with them versus when I'm calm and I'm grounded. I'm able to remind myself that I love them. They love me. We are actually 
are on the same team. So much of that is much more of a, how is my nervous system doing? Does it feel safe enough to be in collaboration like I was describing? Or am I so locked in fight or flight that no amount of willpower is going to convince me that they're not the problem? Wow. And I love also that through your work, you remind me and learning how to repair. And for me, it's really like putting my ego and pride aside. It's not about like, you say, tossing the hot potato or who's right and wrong. <laughs> Or, you know, arguing, you know, and justifying why I'm right. And I think it's really also like, I love what you said about sitting side by side and looking at the issue on hand and solving it as a team. And, you know, final question, Dr. Nicole, is there a practical tool or daily habit that you practice consistently that has helped you tremendously in your personal healing journey in cultivating more consciousness and awareness versus living on autopilot? promise that I keep to this day. Actually, I wrote in my, my future self journal this morning, and that was a practice that I created when I began this journey now years ago um, as an intentional way to utilize a journaling practice, not being someone who typically or traditionally journals. And I think the most traditional sense of like sharing my feelings, I, I never really have done that though. I was really interested in utilizing a daily way to set um, you know, what I call a promise or an intention for myself throughout a given day and, you know, understanding that that, that habit self is, is right there at the ready for me. My body knows, my mind knows it's been practicing habits. Me, I'm 40 years old for four decades of life, right? It knows. So I need to remind myself of these new promises, no matter where I am on the journey. And so for years of doing this practice, the first line of my journal to this day remains the same thing I wrote on day one, which is reminding myself that I'm conscious and that every moment gives me an opportunity to show up for that second stage of change, making wow. the new choice. And that's a promise I keep to myself because that applies to all things. Wow. When I'm conscious of my body, I can tune into it during mealtimes. I can determine when my body feels hunger, not because of all the reasons I used to eat, which were because of it was the time of day where lunch happened or because I'm emotional, you know, and I, I want to numb or distract myself. Now I can begin to actually listen to my body. I can tune into my muscles and my breath and my heart. Like we were talking about earlier, if I'm not yeah. conscious of my body, I don't have the opportunity to notice as it becomes stress reaching that point of no return. Yeah. Right. So really paying that conscious awareness. And it is a daily commitment that I make to myself to this day, because again, if we're not gifting ourselves with that first step of that journey of being aware we're not going to be able to, to tune into or to make those new choices in each moment. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Nicole. Thank you. I, I enjoyed this conversation so much and I could go on and on, but I just really want to appreciate you from the bottom of my heart for the work that you're doing, that you're committed to really also, you know, creating for our generation. Where can we find you and your books and your works and all, of course your self-healer circle community? So um, at this point, I'm pretty sure I'm across all of the social media platforms. <laughs> so however it is that you consume content, yeah. whether it's Twitter or TikTok or Instagram or Facebook, uh, the Holistic Psychologist YouTube has a presence on all of them. Um, that's such an important part of, um, you know, my my priority really here. Mm. My passion is to, you know, keep this information, these conversations in my own podcast as well that I co-host with Jenna, the self-healer soundboard free and accessible and available yeah. to you wherever you're tuning in from around the world. I'm very aware um, that not everyone has access to this, these conversations, this information and these resources. So 
across any platform it is. You can check out The Holistic Psychologist. Um, the two books, How to Do the Work and How to Meet Yourself, the workbook, um, are, I hope, available on our all major book retailers at this time. So you can give a Google and hopefully find a bookstore near you or possibly Amazon or some of those bigger retailers. I do know deliver sometimes internationally to find those. And thank you all for listening, for listening to all of these conversations, um, for listening to me. Again, I really want to emphasize the impact that we each have as individuals mm. to create this change in our lives and our communities. And my belief, and this is what the Self Healer Circle was born out of, is when we do this in community, when we do this globally, I'm getting mm. chills as I'm saying it, my body's agreeing. We quite literally, I believe at least, we, we, we change yeah. the world and we do it together. So thank you for yeah. doing your part and all of you listening. And thank you, Rachel, for doing your part and having me a part of this. Thank you so much for your time and generosity. I'll see you soon. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed that episode with Dr. Nicola Perra. If you have, do consider hitting subscribe or leaving me a comment to let me know what your takeaways are because it's always a joy hearing from you and connecting with you. I look forward to learning, growing and reflecting with you through this podcast so we may keep being happier, healthier and better versions of ourselves. Until next week, stay well and remember to be gentle with yourself. Bye.